0: let me give you a couple quick announcements here. First of all, if, you're, if it's your first time hearing and you, you should have received a bulletin coming in. In the bulletin, there's there's a, a place for your notes. All the sermon notes are in there. And there's also a connection card. We would love to find out about you if it's your first time here. Or if you have a prayer request, if anyone has a prayer request, you can fill out that connection card and drop it in the offering box in the foyer and we'll have people praying for you this week. And I know after service, we're going to, have an Easter egg hunt right on this side of the building for all the kids, and we're going to give away some bikes. And so, uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, maybe two years ago, uh, one family, we have eight bikes for every age group, and one family, uh, they're, 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 they had kids in every age group, and their kids won all the bikes. So Merry Christmas, amen? <laughs> Merry Christmas. So anyway, but... um. Many anyway, will have an Easter egg hunt right following the service. So after we dismiss, you can just go get your kids and go right out here, and uh, and they'll be waiting for you out there. And if you didn't bring an Easter basket, that's okay. We have some extra ones. We have some extra ones for you. So let's let's look at the Easter story this morning from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10. And I want to talk to you. I'm not going to talk to you long today, but I believe what I what I say is is going to be very important. One of the most important uh, stories in the Bible. Matthew twenty-eight verse one through ten, it says, "After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and was going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman." Do not be afraid, for I, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There you will see me. And also, one of my favorite accounts is in Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me, also. You know, it's it's very interesting, but so many so many people sometimes they historians and so forth they act like uh, you know that the the Bible's a fabrication that there's no historical evidence for the Bible. Um, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is a Christian apologist, a defender of the faith, and um, he he has a, a degree from Harvard, and he was. one day his wife came home and he was an atheist and she had gone to church and she came home and said, I I gave my life to Jesus this morning. And he was so disappointed. He was so upset with her that he said, I'm just going to go on a mission to disprove this whole Christianity garbage and the Bible. And so for three years, he traveled around and talked to every expert he could. And at the end of three years, uh, he came to the conclusion, he said, you know, I, I cannot prove I cannot prove that God created the world. I can't prove that Jesus resurrected from the grave. But he says, I I know this. I'm a scientific person. And the the evidence, the factual historical evidence is overwhelming. And so he knelt beside his bed and gave his life to the Lord. And uh, he has been writing books ever since. And one of his books is called A Case for Christ. And he says this. If you took all the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, there in 1 Corinthians, it says that, more than five hundred people uh, saw Jesus after he was resurrected uh, from the grave. He says if you took all these eyewitnesses to the resurrection and you cross-examined them in a court of law for fifteen minutes each, and you went around the clock, it would take from breakfast on Monday morning through Friday, uh, the dinner on Friday, one hundred twenty-nine straight hours through. That, that's a lot of eyewitness testimony. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, we we. We incarcerate people for a lot less than that today. Can I get amen? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is the most pivotal, defining moment in the history of our world. No other moment in history has the ability to change our lives. I mean, there's a lot of important things that happen, but they don't have the power to change our lives. No other moment in history offers eternal life, forgiveness, and hope, and yet many people view Easter as a one-day celebration, and they don't take advantage every day in their lives of of, of some of the truths and some of the benefits that the resurrection paid for and bought for us. I was, I'm I'm a history buff. I love to read history. The problem is the the older I get, I read something, I forget it, and I go back and read it again, you know. Uh, But I was reading about Alexander the Great, of course, one of the, one of the you know the foremost military leaders uh, of Greece, and and he, you know, during his short reign, during his short life, he he his army just swept through and conquered basically every every part of the earth, and, and they were just sweeping through, and they they even even the mighty Persian Empire fell, couldn't stand before the army of Alexander, and as they were going through Persia, uh, his, his their soldiers were allowed to go and loot and go take things, whatever they wanted. And they ended up getting to the to the uh, the capital city, and they went into the palace of, of the then king of Persia, Darius, and they're, they're going through the castle, through the palace, getting all this really neat stuff. And so one soldier went, and he saw over in the corner, he saw a leather bag, a beautiful leather bag. And so he went and picked up the leather bag, and he was so excited. He looked in there, and there were some shiny rocks and some sh- things. So he just dumped them out, and, and he took the leather bag, and and, man, he was seen going, going through every day bragging about the incredible uh, lunchbox he had, this beautiful leather leather uh, pouch. And what he didn't know is that the, the shiny rocks that he dumped out were the crown jewels of Persia. So one of the other soldiers got that. And I'm thinking, I think, as I read that, I'm like, man, what a, what a dummy. If you go into a palace, I mean, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but if you go into a palace, into a king's palace, and you find something, you know, that's shiny. You may just want to check it out, right? You know, take it to a pawn shop or something. Do something with it, you know? And, uh, but I, I was thinking about this story. The, the guy was just ignorant. He didn't know anything about diamonds and pearls and crown jewels, but he got a leather bag. And I was thinking about that. So many people I know today, they're going, they, they're going through life. They're just living an ordinary life. And in the resurrection what it really talks about is that at the resurrection, God, through his son Jesus, he gave us some jewels that we can use. And I think sometimes instead of living and accepting the jewels of the resurrection, we just live common, ordinary lives. And 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 we, we don't we don't really take everything uh, you know that's that ours. And so this morning I just want to I just want to introduce several of the Easter pearls to you, the Easter jewels this morning and then you can decide for yourself. But I wonder if I ask you a question, if I ask you, hey, you know, I want I wonder if you really examine your life today, if you really took an inward look at yourselves, would you find that you've exchanged some of the jewels of Easter for just ordinary things? I mean, I, I I'm as a pastor, I'm very surprised. I talk to many of our members all the time. I'll be up here at church and It's not uncommon for people, someone just to stop by here in the middle of the day that I've never talked to before, I've never met. And they're just looking for help. And what I've noticed is, uh, although God through Jesus has given us these incredible gifts, many people, even many that go to church, they're not using these jewels in their daily lives. So I'm going to talk to you about, about four of the Easter jewels this morning and just, just think about it for yourself and see what you think. But the first one, and probably the most powerful, is, is the jewel of forgiveness. The jewel of forgiveness, that Jesus came into the world with one objective. Jesus came for one objective, and that was to give his sinless life in exchange for our sinful life. Now, if I asked you this morning, is everyone here this morning a sinner? You'd probably raise your hand, right? As a matter of fact, in my life, and I'm getting older and older, I've only met one person that told me he had never sinned. I, I've told the story before, but some of you don't know. But, yeah, so when I was a youth pastor, we were going out witnessing to people, and I was taking these kids everywhere, and they came back to me, these three young men, and they told me, hey, hey uh, Pastor Terry, we have a little problem. I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, we want to lead this one guy to the Lord, but he's never sinned. I said, really? I said, well, I would like to introduce him, you know? I introduced me to him. I'd like to meet him. And, and I told these guys, I'm like, well, did you have him walk on water? I mean, did you do, get him to do something? I mean, if he's never sinned before. And so I met this young man, and he was about 21 years old, and and he told me, I, I said, so hey, you know, there, maybe there's a misunderstanding. Some of my guys here, they told me that you've never sinned. He said, yeah, that's true. That's true, Terry. I've, 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 I've never sinned. So I'm thinking this will be pretty quick. Uh, I said, so, you know, when you were growing up, you never disobeyed your parents, you never talked back to your parents, you were never dishonest with your parents. Oh, no, I would never do that. So he's a 21-year-old guy, so I'm just going to go to line number two. I'm like, so, you're, you know, you're on college campus, you've never looked at a, at a, at a young lady lustfully, you've never... Fornicated, oh, no, I would, I would never do that, you know, never do that. So I'm going through, all, like I'm line one, line two. I'm line, down to line, line number seven now, and it's not looking good to convince this guy that he's a sinner. And so finally I said, hey, you seem pretty proud of the fact you've never sinned. And he beat the table. He said, very proud, very proud. I said, well, you know, pride is a sin. You catch me in my very first sin. That's what he told me. And I said, well, now that you're a sinner, you need a Savior, you know, and let's, let's go from there. But think about this, 1 John 1, 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, he, that's Jesus, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalms 103, verse 12, it says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions and so if you could just get a continuum that just went on forever east and west if you ever got to the end that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. But you know one of the big problems is many the, the problem is never with with God forgiving us. The problem there's two problems with forgiveness. And the first one is that we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We just beat ourselves up and we just think that we're not we don't deserve to be forgiven. And you know, you know what the thing is, is if you live with unforgiveness, if you live with guilt in your life, it affects your health. It affects all of your relationships. It affects, your, it affects everything in your life. I'll tell you a sad story. One day, many years ago, I, I was brought to see this lady, and this lady was on her deathbed. She was in hospice, and she, she was just eating up with cancer. And she was young. She was very young, like 33, 34 years old. And so, but when I walk in the room, I could just tell there was something more than just the cancer. Like I could tell she didn't want to live. Like she didn't didn't want to live, she was ready to die. And and so I was talking with her and praying with her and when I left, her husband came out and told me the story. He said, yeah, about about five years ago, she went to pick our daughter up for school, after school, and she was coming home and there, there was a bus, a school bus, Parked on the side of the road, and you know how sometimes if a bus is early or something, they'll just park on the side of the road and wait. It didn't have any lights on, no flashers on. So she just went around it, and about the time she came around the bus, a little six-year-old girl came running out, and she hit her and killed her. And I mean, it's just terrible. But she, she, she never, she never could forgive herself for that. And, and then that, that's a terrible, that's a terrible thing, and uh, nothing to make light of. But she. I, I believe this. I believe that uh, she asked God to forgive her, but she couldn't forgive herself. And, and just the whole, that whole thing. And I, I wonder, I wonder, it's like, man, if she would have just allowed God to forgive her, if she would have just got that out. Uh, see, I, I, think that the, I think that the cancer and all that stuff came from what happened in her life after she was living with all that, all of that, all of that remorse. But, you know, I've been a pastor for 24 years. And the number one problem, the number one problem, it's not even close, when I talk to people, is that people have a hard time getting past their past. People live in the past. And, you know, most, most of my counseling sessions, they start off this way. And hey, well, what's going on? Well, seven years ago, well, when I was a kid, two months ago, three, it, it, it almost all of them starts off with something that happened in the past that they just can't get over. And, you know, either someone did something to them or they did something to somebody, but it's it's their past. And, of course, the whole key to getting past your past is forgiveness. And, of course, sometimes we don't forgive ourselves. But, you know, something else is that when we allow God's forgiveness to come into our life, he will give us the power and the desire to forgive those who have done wrong things to us. And again we, we we live in a world that's fallen and every day I hear stories that are terrible, just pure evil. But there's not a, no question in my mind out here this morning. There's people in here that you've been verbally abused, you've been sexually abused, you've been physically abused, you you've been emotionally abused, you've been lied to, you've been cheated, you've been rejected. I mean there's all the all those things that happen, you know, in life and again A big part of my testimony is is that I I got to a place in my life where I I wasn't able to forgive some people. I was raised in church, and my dad was a pastor, and I had some things happen to me from people in my church, some of my dad's friends, and uh, you know I just allowed bitterness to come into my life, and I just allowed that to affect me. And uh, I went in the military, didn't have any interest in going to church for a few years, and one day. One day I was sitting alone and I wasn't even seeking for God to speak to me, but I had an encounter with God. And you know what he said? He's like, Hey, Terry, how long are you going to let other people live your life? I'm like, Well, ain't no one living my life. He's like, Well, sure you are. And he named their names. He said, They did something to you six years ago, five years ago, they hurt you. You know, they're human the reason they hurt you is because they have problems. You do realize that when people do something, it's because they have problems. They have some demons that are chasing them. And, you know, I, I said, you know, you're right. I'm mad and angry and upset. Don't want to have anything to do with church because of three people. That's not right. And, man, I just forgave them right then. I just forgave Lord, I just forgive them. And, man, the peace of God just filled my heart. I was a whole different person. My heart just got tender. And what I want to say to you is this, is is if you're mad and hold unforgiveness about something that someone has done to you years ago, you're you're trapped in a box of unforgiveness, and that turns into bitterness. And what someone did to you, you're going to end up doing to other people, and it will affect your relationships with, with your kids, with your spouse. And so I have a better solution. See, the first jewel of Easter is that we can receive God's forgiveness for anything we've done, and we can extend forgiveness to others. It doesn't matter if they deserve it. It doesn't matter if they ask for it. We just forgive them because Christ forgave us. And that's a tremendous jewel in our life. But the second jewel is this, the jewel of peace. The jewel of peace. And, of course, the opposite of peace is worry. Have you ever noticed Well, first of all, let me ask you. I want to see how many honest people we have here today. How many professional warriors do we have here this morning? All right, now spouses, I want you to, there's some some this going on here. Yeah, you're, well, I'm not a professional. I'm just mid-amateur, you know. No, you're, but have you noticed that really Americans, in America, we have become just professional warriors? As a matter of fact, I was reading a doctor's report, a medical doctor, and he said half of all the sicknesses in our country, Half of all doctor's visits could be avoided if people weren't so stressed out and worried. But man, we just let worry consume us. And if you let worry consume you, you start thinking about things that are, are, you don't even know if they're going to happen. How many of you have been thinking about something, worrying about something? You look at the clock and like four hours have passed. You just lost four hours of your life worried about something that may or may not ever come. If you look up the word worry in the dictionary, it means to have a divided mind. It means to have you have a mental tug-of-war going on, especially if you're a Christian, because if you're a Christian, you know that you shouldn't be worrying, you should give things to God. But you take it and you, it's like a mental tug of war. I'm gonna give it to God. No, he's too slow. I'll do it myself. You know, we're going, we're going, we're going back and forth. Matthew 6, verse 25. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. I was reading a, a research article, and they, they surveyed, they surveyed, they got a bunch of professional warriors, and they paid them like 15 bucks to take the survey, right? Thousands of people. And what they concluded was this. 52% of the things that people worry about will never happen. So, 52% we're worrying about things that they're never even going to happen, right? Then, 10% of the things, or 30% of the things we worry about, are in the past and can't be changed. Then, 10% of the things we worry about are insignificant, like they don't even matter if they happen or not. So, if you add all those up, 92% of the things we worry about will never happen or in the past or They're insignificant. So, like, I thought this article would help me. So when people come to my office, I pulled it out when they were starting worrying about stuff. Everyone, 100% said this, yeah, no, but Terry, I got real problems. My worries are real. Okay? And so think about it. You're probably like that, aren't you? Yeah, but I can work because my worries are real. Okay? But think about this. If we have Jesus in our hearts and if we have eternal life, if the worst thing that happens here. Is that we we die? That's the worst thing that happens, and we go live with eternity with Him. Is that so bad? <laughs> Some, y'all are worried about me. Only three people think it's three. Only three people are excited about going to heaven. Oh my gosh! That's it. I had a short sermon. We got to go longer now, right? So so forgiveness, peace, and the third thing is is the the, the jewel of fellowship, and you know. The the book of Acts, so after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the book of Acts, and it records a 30-year period following the life of Jesus as his disciples and apostles. They're going out, taking the Gospel of Jesus all over, and what they would do is they would go to a place that didn't have any Christians, and they would start telling them what Jesus had done, and they would lead somebody to the Lord, and somebody would accept Jesus as their Savior. And after they got a couple of these, they had a small community of Christians, they would start a church. And the reason they started a church was for several reasons. First is there were no Christian churches in that city or town. And Christians needed a place to go to fellowship together for accountability and and, and fellowship. And the second reason is because the church would actually become their their family. Now, we know that all Christians around the world were in the family of God, we were brothers and sisters. But what would happen back in these days and still happens all over the world is when people accepted Jesus, their family no longer had anything to do with them. They were ostracized. They were shunned. So this, this new group of Christians was their family. It was who they met with. It's who they talked with. It's who they fellowshiped with. It's who they ate with. It's who they got, you know, uh, who they talked with and so on and so forth. It's very interesting because today we're so muddied down in stuff that I, very seldom do I ever hear of somebody giving their hearts to Jesus and their family not wanting anything to do with them anymore. But over in when I just came back from Nepal in India, of course, Nepal is a Hindu nation, and every one of the every one of the church members in our church in our family life church in Nepal, every one of them. Uh, we're not Christians. They were raised Hindu. And when they give their lives to Jesus, I mean, many of them, I, I met one guy and his, his wife, his, her family, his family, they just totally, they kicked him out. You can't see your kids anymore. And I'm thinking, man, that's a price to pay. But when I looked at his eyes, he had joy. And he says, I have my church. I have my church. And it's interesting, when I go over there, when I go different places, man, they're climbing over mountains on foot to go to church. It's, it's really just amazing how, how important that church is to them. And in Ephesians 2.19, it says, Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to, the, uh, foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Again, I, I just find this interesting, you know, that in America, we enjoy so much freedom, but there's millions and millions of Americans who are Christians, and they're what I call the Lone Ranger Christians. Like, they don't want to go to church. They'll sit at home and, you know, watch Joel Osteen or whoever, whoever, whoever they want to watch, John Hagee, and that's great, but they're sitting at home by themselves watching watching church and and I, and I believe that so many Christians today they're missing out they're missing out on something the Bible says is the jewel of fellowship there's something comforting when we when we come and when we we're known and and, and when we know others and they know us and uh, but but it's interesting the larger the church gets in America the fewer people want to have anything to do really with with the fellowship. And I just want to encourage you this morning. God didn't mean for you to be out there by, by yourself. If you're a visitor this morning, there are a lot of great churches in our area. And we would love for you to come here, but you don't have to. But I just encourage you find a church, get into a small group, get into a Bible study where you can, you know, see, we're out there by ourselves as Christians and we're thinking, I have all these problems. When you start meeting other Christians, you find out, well, they have problems too. Isn't it encouraging to find out someone else has other problems? One time, Trace and I, we, were, we had a rough day with our kids. Our kids were really small. We had a rough day with our kids. So we went to some friend's house for dinner. And like, their kids were terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and I got in the car and I told Trace, I feel so encouraged. <laughs> like, our kids are angels, you know? <laughs> like, goodness gracious, look at that. But fellowship provides accountability See, see, a lot of times we want to sneak into church and we want to sneak out. We don't want anyone to know if we're there or not. But accountability is a powerful thing when someone can pick up a phone and say, hey, I haven't seen you in like a long time. Are you okay? A fellowship provides support and encouragement. Fellowship provides inspiration. It's just encouraging to be together with other believers. In the early church, they were reaping all the benefits of this, and I think sometimes we, we just haven't, and in Christian, in America, we haven't made fellowship a priority. And the, the thing is, is that the only people that are hurt, the only people you're hurting by not getting involved and getting to know people is yourself, right? Yourself and your family. Let's look at the last, the last jewel. The jewel of relationship. The jewel of relationship. And here's the thing. This is the most important. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God. And he never intended to be our religion. Jesus never intended to be our religion. He intended to make a way where you and I could have a personal relationship with he and God. And, you know, by destroying the barrier of sin, he opened the door for us to have a personal relationship with God. It's very interesting. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, the very first book in Genesis, and just reading the first several chapters, you realize that, man, God created the world He created humanity in the form of Adam and Eve. And that God would come down in the garden, in the cool of the day, in the evening, and he would walk and talk with Adam and Eve. There was a personal relationship. There was personal communication. God didn't create us to be distant from us. He created us to have a personal relationship with him. And of course, when Adam and Eve, you know, chose to disobey God... It brought in the sin barrier, which broke our relationship with God. And so all through the the Old Testament, you see people trying to have a relationship with God and having a relationship with God from a distance, but really only the high priest was able to go in to the Holy of Holies and and see the glory of God and fellowship uh, with God personally. But when Jesus came, Jesus came to restore our relationship with God. And so today, you and I, we have the opportunity to have a growing, vibrant, personal relationship with God. What, a, what, a, what an opportunity to have a personal relationship, to be able to communicate with the creator of heaven and earth, with the person who created us. You know, if if somebody created us, that means that they have wisdom and knowledge of what we need. And isn't it funny, So, we'll be calling our friends who, we know that, you know, they don't have the wisdom we need, but we're calling them just to confide in them. You know? You're like three blind mice, right? And, but, but think about it. Wouldn't it be better if we built our relationship with God where we're talking with him, we're taking time, spending time with him, and that personal relationship with him? And that is one of the jewels of Easter. So the jewel of forgiveness, the jewel of peace, the jewel of fellowship, and the jewel of relationship with God, Would you just bow your heads with me this morning? I just, I just want to pray for you before we close this morning. You know, I wonder as I've, I've, as I've been talking, you know, I know that uh, hopefully this message in some way challenged you, challenged your thinking. And, you know, you, you could have been here this morning and you could have said, man, I realize that I have unforgiveness in my heart. I haven't forgiven myself for something. I haven't asked Jesus to forgive me. I, there's somebody who's done something to me and I'm harboring an offense and not forgiving them. Second thing, you may be here this morning, you, you just realize that if you were just totally honest, when you lay your head down at night, you don't have peace. You don't have the jewel of peace operating in your life. You're operating on the, on the other end of worry. You may be here this morning and uh, you may say, you know, Terry, I, I know that I've asked God to forgive me. I know that I have peace. But, but I'm kind of a loner. I've just, you know, I've never, I've never ever met anyone in church. I've never got involved in church. I've never been accountable with any other Christians. And I feel like that's what God's calling me to do. And then the last thing, and most importantly, is maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, Terry, I just don't have a personal relationship with him. And when you're talking about uh, having a personal relationship with him, I, it's just even hard for me to fathom because I was raised in a religious setting where religion was something you did. It's not something that really impacted your life. I want to ask you to do something this morning. If you're here, just eyes closed, if if one of these areas just really just struck you this morning and you say, man, I've been living an ordinary life and I haven't been allowing some of these jewels of the Easter story, what Jesus has already paid for, I'm not allowing it to really impact and infect my life. And I just want to pray for you this morning. Would you just raise your hands, not to me, but to God. It's saying, Jesus, thank you for the resurrection. Lord, I want the benefits of the resurrection in my life. I want these jewels of the resurrection in my life. God, I just pray for you right now. Lord, I just pray for all these men and women around who are who are God who are just who have been struggling with some things. God, and Lord, right now, we just We accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives. God, we accept that he rose from the grave. And God, we want forgiveness. We want peace. God, we want fellowship with other believers and with God. And Lord, we want that relationship this morning. something this morning and and i'm doing it because i want to obey the holy spirit and there there there's someone here this morning maybe more but there's someone here this morning that you have just been eaten up so much by unforgiveness that it's just made your life miserable and i'm telling you there's a spirit of forgiveness this morning jesus can help you with that if that's you would you just would you just stand no one's going to look at you no one's going to look around but i i really believe there's someone here this morning who's just been eaten up by unforgiveness and it's just man it's just touching your life i see i see those two is there any more yeah 3 don't be don't be scared today is a day of forgiveness for you today is a day of freedom in your life if you if you stood up would you just raise your hands with me just raise your hands with me and say dear Jesus I need you to help me forgive I'm sorry for harboring offense I'm sorry for harboring just bitterness I ask you to help me forgive today God help me to forgive I release these people today I release them in Jesus name I release them in Father, God, right now, I just pray for the Spirit of God to fill their lives, to fill their hearts, to bring forgiveness, to bring peace. God, I just pray that the weight of unforgiveness is being lifted. God, just the weight of unforgiveness is being lifted in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for for honoring the Lord. Um, One more thing. One more thing. I'm going to the last thing, I'm going to talk about the, just the relationship for, for a moment. You know, maybe you're here and, you know, maybe you've never really been interested in going to church or going to church long because you thought it was just something you do on Easter and Christmas. You didn't think it was anything that could affect your life. And, you know, you've you've looked at church and God as a religion instead of a personal relationship. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more today that Jesus would like to do. is just to have a personal relationship with you. If, if you've been living life and you say, Terry, I, I, I just haven't had a personal relationship with Jesus, and I, I want that this morning. I'm going to ask you to be bold. Would you just stand with me today? I, I know there's probably many in this room who say, man, I need Jesus. I need, I need a personal, intimate relationship with him this morning. anyone else this morning, and listen, let me say, you you may actually be a Christian, but you, you've just been seeing God as religion instead of having that personal relationship with him. Lord, I pray right now for all these many women standing here this morning. Lord Jesus, you came, and you lived a sinless life, and you gave yourself up for us, and God raised you from the dead to open up an avenue where we could have a personal relationship with you. And God, I pray this morning for these many women. God, I just pray you would usher your spirit into their life this morning, Lord God. Lord, I pray they would come to know you in a personal way, in an intimate way. God, that they would talk to you just as they talk to their mother or father, their brother or sister, their friends. God, I pray there would be communication between you and them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we're so glad you came this morning. And um, I'm going to be out in the hallway, and I would love to talk to meet with any of our new people, any visitors this morning. and um, But we do. We're going to have a lot of fun for the kids right out here and have an Easter egg hunt. So if you have kids, I'm going to dismiss you after this prayer, and you can just go.